0: This is The Bouquet Toss, a wedding planning podcast brought to you by TheBudgetSavvyBride.com to help you decide what to keep and what to toss from your wedding day plans. Welcome back to The Bouquet Toss. This week's topic is the dreaded B word, your budget. Setting and managing a wedding budget can be one of the trickiest parts of planning, But we're here to guide you through important things to consider when calculating a number that works for you.
1: Before we get started, let's just go ahead and address the elephant in the room, shall we? Big wedding media outlets put together surveys each year where they share the national average wedding budget. And I think it bears mentioning in this conversation.
0: Why do you feel like we need to mention it? Could it be that the average wedding cost
1: seems pretty high? In years past, yes, I think so. The last couple of years, I think due to the pandemic, the numbers seem a little more akin to what I would think the average actually is. But, you know, back in 2018, the the numbers were just going up and up and up every year, right? And then most recently in 2021, the average was reported to be around $22,500. But I think the most important thing to remember, no matter what is publicized in the media as the national or local average budget, your wedding budget should be based on your personal situation.
0: So I know that the answer to this is going to be that it's a completely personal case-by-case thing. But how do you even go about deciding on a number That feels okay to just part with after the wedding. You know, like these days, there's so much that you need to spend your money on. I think millennials specifically, we like inherited an economy that was pretty terrible. We all took out student loans to go to college. And it's like, how do you go about figuring that out from the start? What you feel like is an appropriate number for you to spend? on this one day event.
1: Right. I mean, everyone's personal circumstances are so unique to them, obviously, from the amount you have in savings to maybe the amount of debt that you have, whether it's student loans or hopefully not credit card debt, but things happen and and people can get themselves into a bit of debt here and there. And then add in, you know, your parents' financial situations too. And if they're able to contribute to your wedding funds, all of these different things are going to play a part in how much you are able to or plan to spend on your wedding. So I mean, chances are your budget isn't going to look like anyone else's. And we definitely have some tips and some kind of guidelines to help couples figure out what is a realistic and palatable (laughs) amount of money to spend on this celebration. It is obviously a super important day. You want it to be a great day. But as we've proven thousands of times over with the real weddings that we've published on the Budget Savvy Bride, you don't have to spend a fortune to have a beautiful wedding or to have a meaningful wedding. And this kind of relates back to what we talked about in episode one this season, which is really defining like what that dream day looks like for you and uh, using that to help you reconcile how much you're gonna need to spend to make that happen.
0: That all sounds amazing. So how do you even get started embarking on this journey of setting a number for your budget?
1: So typically there are multiple parties contributing to your wedding fund in most cases. Maybe it's just you and your partner, but maybe your families are contributing too. So we're going to talk through this so you can kind of tailor your budget to your personal circumstances. But I always recommend, you know, starting out with kind of looking at what you currently each have in savings, obviously you don't want to spend every penny in your savings account on your wedding day. You probably have other financial goals and plans, whether it's buying a house or expanding your family soon after the wedding day, or starting a business or taking an epic honeymoon. You know, no matter what the case might be, you're not going to want to spend every dime you have on a wedding, right? And something I think is also really important to remember we have obviously been through like a really crazy couple of years with the pandemic. Um, but even beyond that, you know, life is unpredictable, you could lose a job, you could have circumstances that put you in like a tricky financial spot. You know, personally, I, I was laid off during the course of planning my wedding back in the day. And so those kind of curveballs just happen in life, right? So I i am not a financial advisor by any, any means, but you know, having an emergency fund set aside to cover your life expenses, should one of those unfortunate events occur, I think is so important. If you don't have an emergency fund that would cover a few months of your basic living expenses, you should be tackling that first before saving for a wedding. And that's, that's just some like real, real talk. Not fun.
0: Not (laughs) fun. But thank you for being real with us. I think That's actually so helpful just to give kind of a marker for where to start. And so when you're even sitting down to figure out the vision for your wedding and all of that, as you said, what you have to spend is going to be a very big part of that, but it can feel really hard just to like arbitrarily draw a number out of the total number that you have. So I love that you said having at least three months worth of essential living expenses in your savings is priority one before you're even planning for a wedding. So that's money that you should not touch for purposes of your wedding. So I think starting there is amazing. And once you do calculate your rent or your mortgage payment or all of that, plus your daily living expenses, whatever you're paying for groceries, like entertainment, all of these things, once you can put that together times three, that should give you an idea of what is not available for you to touch from what you do have. And so then by subtracting that, you can say, all right, here's a chunk that I feel we could work with, but you want to also remember that the more of a cushion you have, obviously the better. So if it feels like the rest of the money besides that three months in your savings is going to be like, I don't know, like, can we really live that way? Then Take more off of that. (laughs) Don't give yourself as much to spend because the reality is, if you give it to yourself to spend, you can find something to spend it on. But if you go the other way and you cap your number, you also can find ways to pull it off for that lower number. But then, do you have any, you know, expert advice on? Is it common for someone to set, let's say, a ten thousand dollar budget, but come up actually at like twelve k, or? Maybe they come in at like eight. What do you think is most common?
1: I mean, I think a lot of people do tend to go over a bit from the original budget that they set just because the reality of what things cost, you know, especially if you aren't able or willing to do certain things yourself. It's a thousand percent possible to plan A wedding on 10k but could you do it for 250 guests like probably not unless you're just not feeding anyone you know (laughs) or you're just having like a cake and punch reception which if that's what you want to do perfect do that this is where really like reconciling what you have to spend and the vision that you have you know having to be realistic about certain things and in certain circumstances
0: yeah, I mean, I I think getting really serious, like truly taking out your calculator and looking at numbers is the only way to do it. But I've heard you talk about the 50-30-20 rule before. Can you mm-hmm. talk about what that is?
1: Yeah, so this is actually like in the book as well, um, The Budget-Savvy Wedding Planner and Organizer, but it's like a personal finance kind of guideline that's recommended that Basically, uh, it's 50, 30, 20. And the premise is that 50% of your total monthly income should be going to your essential living expenses. So that's like your rent or mortgage, you know, what you need to feed yourself, your utility bills, your cell phone bill, those things that are really like essential to your life. Obviously, like gas, transportation, or like your Metro card, depending on where you live, things like that. Those things that are kind of like essential to your life. And then, you know, your personal expenses would be your haircuts or clothing or like more discretionary purchases. And those are kind of like the areas, even your groceries could technically kind of fall into more of the personal expenses truly, because those are areas where If you're savvy and you do what's necessary to cut back in those areas, it's totally possible. And then the other 20% should be going to your financial goals. So like your savings, your retirement, maybe your wedding fund, you know, depending on what you're saving up for. So that's basically like the general premise of the 50-30-20.
0: I love that. That makes it so easy to work with and like such a strong framework for you to use to just have a budget.
1: It's good. And I think, you know, it obviously depends on like the area of the country that you live in. If you live in a big city, like rent can be a huge expense, especially in a city like New York. But if you can stick to this as a guideline, you'll probably have an easier time managing your budget and not overspending or taking on and accruing any debt.
0: The thing that I really like when you talk about this is bringing up the fact that you can control the length of your engagement based on these numbers based on these percentages and figure out how long it will take if you know if you are contributing 20% of your total income to your financial goals your wedding being one of them you can kind of figure out how long you really might need to reach that number that you're trying to reach you know, in terms of the cap of your budget. The longer your engagement is, the longer you can save the money that you'll end up using for the wedding,
1: right? Absolutely. And so, yeah, there's so many benefits to planning far in advance. And as I'm sure many couples can relate to right now, competition is pretty fierce for vendors and dates because we're in what they're calling a wedding boom. with the most weddings planned in 2022 Since like 1984, which happens to be the year I was born. And also we're recording this on my birthday, (laughs) which is just funny, but you know, there's so many benefits, you know, with a longer engagement, including giving yourself time to save money along the way maybe you find areas that you can cut back maybe you and your partner aren't living together when you get engaged but you move in together to save on rent or you know maybe you cut out like your weekly drinks outings with your coworkers or something like that There are ways across the board in any aspect of your life, I'm sure, that you can find to cut back a bit if you need to be able to save more. But on the other hand, there's also like picking up a side hustle or, as I like to say, a bride hustle um, (laughs) throughout your engagement uh, as a way to bring in extra money, whether it's babysitting or you know, walking dogs or selling some of your unused clothing on like Poshmark or Mercari, or there's so many different things that you can do to bring in a little extra cash. So that's another way to put more money in that wedding fund, you know?
0: So these are all amazing things that the couple can focus on when trying to set their budget. How do you go about broaching these conversations with family members or people that might also be contributing to the wedding. I think nobody wants to, of course, come out the gate expecting, but how do you go about talking about that and figuring out what those contributions might be?
1: Yeah, I think it's it can be a challenging uh, process and conversations. might take multiple conversations to really iron it all out, but I definitely recommend getting in touch with your family members as soon as possible to figure out just those questions. You know, are you planning to contribute financially to the wedding? If so, how much? You're also going to want to get clear on when to expect those payments. Are they going to give you like a lump sum that you're going to use and allocate as you see fit? Or- are there going to be expectations of their opinions playing a role in the choices that you make? I think it's important to remember that accepting money from others, whether it's family members or your partner's family, money often like comes with expectations and sometimes they are going to want some level of control over the decisions that you're making and you and your partner need to decide whether you're okay with that or not. Because you two have already discussed what you want the wedding day to be, but your families may have completely different ideas of what they want their child's wedding day to be. So being really clear and upfront about the type of wedding that you and your partner want when when having these discussions with your families, I think is important letting them know that, you know, you are grateful for whatever that they are willing to donate to the cause. But setting the expectations of we would really like to plan the wedding that feels authentic and meaningful to us. And we welcome your support and hope you'll understand if we do things our way (laughs) to a certain extent. It's easier said than done in certain circumstances, especially depending on your relationship with your family.
0: Definitely. I love that you mentioned really also figuring out the details of this.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so knowing how you're going to be handling those payments is a huge thing. Like in some cases, you know, a couple's parents might say like, oh, we'll pay the deposit for the venue or we'll pay for the, you know, the catering costs or, you know, you could maybe even, give your parents a little bit of input into the areas specifically that they're covering. Maybe the things that you don't feel so strongly that you want to have complete decision-making over. It's all a compromise, right? It's all about making sure everybody feels happy and also that you're you know, anybody who is contributing financially feels appreciated for what they are providing and that you're not dismissing their desires or opinions, but that it's like mutually respectful, I guess.
0: One of the most common questions you're asked as an engaged couple is where are you registered? And one of the best responses to this question is Wayfair. The Wayfair registry has everything you could want and need for your home, and it's easy, fun, and stress-free. Wayfair makes it easy to register for everything you love all in one place. From an espresso machine and a KitchenAid mixer to a vacuum from Dyson or Roomba, you can add all the brands you dream about right to your wish list. They've got everything from bedding and wine glasses to cornhole sets and outdoor grills, making the Wayfair registry a perfect solution for both your indoor and outdoor home needs. Plus, they even offer gift cards to places like Airbnb and Delta for those times when you have to make your home away from home. So what are you waiting for? Visit wayfair.com slash gift registry to get started in seconds. And listeners of the Bouquet toss can receive a one-time $50 credit after your guest buys something from your registry by using code bouquet at checkout. But that's not all. After your wedding, Wayfair will give you a 20% discount to help you finish purchasing any of the items that are left on your registry. What a savvy deal. Again, that's wayfair.com slash gift registry and code bouquet to start your wedding registry the savvy way.
1: You might find that you and your partner are able to come up with a number that you feel good about spending, you know, yourselves between the two of you combined with, you know, the savings that you can have along the way. And maybe you don't want to take financial contributions from your family at all. Because you don't want to have to deal with those expectations and opinions and the stress of that. And I think that's perfectly valid too. If you want to do something, especially I think if you want to do something intimate and affordable, and maybe your parents are the ones who want to invite every former coworker they've ever had or whatever the case might be, and they're the ones who would maybe be causing the budget creep, then You're within your rights completely to say, this is the wedding that we're willing to pay for and have for ourselves. And thanks for your opinion, but this is what we're doing, you know? Yeah, there's
0: other ways that they can contribute that don't necessarily directly impact the wedding budget. There's potentially things for your house or maybe gifts that you need. There's ways that if they want to contribute, they can that don't have to necessarily be the DJ or the photographer or the venue, you know? Exactly. So one thing I'm curious if you have any data on this or if you've heard about this recently, you know, we love to talk about traditions and bucking traditions and something that for a while was like the norm was expecting the bride's parents to pay for the wedding. And I'm very curious where we stand on that societally now, just in terms of the amount of progress we made. Not everybody is thinking, you know, that way anymore. And of course we're not, it's not like a function of the... (laughs) the woman being bought or giving a dowry to the man's family or any of that anymore. But is that something that you think a lot of parents are still under the impression that the bride's parents are responsible, not the groom's?
1: So according to the wedding Wire newlywed report in 2021, parents are paying for 52% of wedding expenses while the couple pays for 47 the remaining 1% is paid for by other loved ones, but it doesn't say specifically the bride's family. Also, according to Wedding Wire, 60% of parents decide to pay for specific things, such as the bride's dress or the venue, while 33% of parents write the couple a check that they can spend on the wedding as they please. That's one report.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that this all backs up the idea that not only are you and your partner having to sit down and kind of parse through the narratives that you believe about weddings and, like, the values you have around.
1: This one article from Brides.com is, like, really breaking it down. Like, the groom's family is responsible for the honeymoon, the marriage license, the officiant, the rehearsal dinner, the bride's bouquet, boutonnieres, and corsages. Like, who made up these rules? I think if you do, like, a Google search, you're going to find answers that are, like, all across the board. And that's why, I don't know, I think people should just do what works for their own personal situation and not worry so much about what's considered traditional. I mean, these days, there's weddings with no bride. (laughs) So in that case, the bride's family is not paying for anything. I think that's such
0: a good point. I also think you're right. There's so much time couples could spend trying to find this information. And there will be people who have made their opinion clear about what they think should happen, right? There's a lot of people that will say, XYZ is paid for by the bride's family, XYZ by the groom's family. And that's what they believe. And in the real reality of the whole thing, there are actually really no rules. So you get to make the rules, you get to sit with your partner and your families and decide what feels right for us. What are the rules we want to go by? You know, what are the things that we think we'll feel happy with down the line after this event has occurred, you know?
1: Yeah. And I mean, maybe you even find yourself in a position where your parents want to gift you a sum of money that is more than the wedding that you really have envisioned for yourself and maybe... You politely decline, or maybe you say, Oh, we're going to put some of that towards our down payment on a house instead. You know, like just because you have the money doesn't necessarily mean you have to spend it or even want to spend it. So it's really about, you know, coming back to that vision and getting really clear on what you actually want and making it work.
0: Speaking of making it work. You've also got some really cool tips, ways to save, ways to make your budget kind of stretch a little bit further and really just ways to prepare, like things that you might not be thinking about that could affect the amount that you'll eventually have to spend on your wedding. So I would love to talk about these ways that you can save, right? So number one, creating an automatic saving account, like a a plan where you're having a separate account and the funds just go straight into there. I think is so, so smart. It can feel like really difficult to say, oh, but I have to take some of this savings and put it in the wedding. And I don't know if I want to. And if you just have the online banking system do it for you, it takes a lot of that
1: out, right? Yes. A hundred percent. I'm a big fan. I've been using, uh, I personally bank with Capital One 360 and they have like what they call automatic savings plans. So when You know my paycheck hits my account every month I can set it to allocate to multiple different savings accounts if I want to for whatever different financial goals I might be working towards and it's something I definitely recommend to couples who are saving up for their weddings um, and putting it in a in a joint account because if you do it automatically you don't have the chance to spend it before you can save it
0: (laughs) yeah exactly So speaking of not spending before you save it, also finding ways to cut down on your monthly expenses during the planning process. I think it can feel a little bit like nerve wracking to have to be like, okay, for the rest of my life, I have to cut down on this category of spend that I usually do. But if you think about it from like, well, we have 18 months to save. So for these 18 months, arbitrarily, we're going to cut down on specific things. I think it's easier and like more palatable to do. And one of the best ways to do it is to be a savvy shopper. So please just give us some more intel on what savvy shopping looks
1: like. Well, I think... It involves lots of Google research, <laughs> um, shopping online, price comparing, anything that you buy. I think my dad taught me well in that regard. I'm always on the lookout for, look for the best deal possible. There's so many different websites online where you can look for coupon codes, discount codes for anything that you're shopping for. Shameless plug, The thebudgetsavvybride.com has a whole section that we call our wedding deals section. If you haven't been there yet, what are you even doing with your life? Um, <laughs> but we actually, we partner with a lot of really great wedding businesses and they offer exclusive discounts specifically for our audience. So if you haven't checked, out, checked it out yet definitely highly recommend you can save on anything from your invitations, flowers, wedding dresses, bridesmaids attire, suits for the guys, gifts, beauty products like Literally, we've got a little bit of everything in there beyond stuff that you would just use on the wedding day. So definitely highly recommend, get some deals, be a savvy bride or groom. But no, no matter if you're visiting our site or just doing a general Google search, like before you buy anything online, you should you should search the store name and coupon code or discount code and see if you can find anything, whether it's free shipping, a uh, percentage off your purchase, all those savings add up.
0: That is with so much shopping that you're doing for everything, even your groceries. The amount that you can save adds up so quickly when you just kind of get ahead of it. I also love to use plugins. So I use Honey on my Chrome browser. This is not sponsored. (laughs) Um, And it does it for you. Like it literally will be like, we're looking for coupons. There's so much technology out there that helps you do it. So trying to not be overwhelmed by the process but kind of like excited by what you can manage to save i think is a good way to look at it um it's possible it's out there and it just takes a little bit of research yeah and then another thing that i like another way to save is turning your clutter into cash There's so much out there like Facebook Marketplace and Poshmark or eBay or, you know, any of those things where you can sell things that you just don't need anymore. And I feel like if you and your partner can get on a schedule of like every six months or something like that, you take inventory of what you guys have, what you can part with, what you might be able to get money for. It's such a cool way to get like unexpected cash or unexpected funds in the middle of your planning that really can help you know cover the cost of something
1: yeah absolutely and another thing i always love to remind couples to keep in mind is when you're buying things for your wedding anything decor wise if if you're not going to use it in your home after the wedding as like a you know a nice memory or like memento from your wedding day Buying things that you you know you can resell maybe to another couple getting married, another bride that they could use for their wedding, you know, thinking about items that have like resale value after the wedding, it almost like nets out to to zero or to like half the cost depending on how much you can sell it for after using it for the wedding. So that's something I think is important to keep in mind also.
0: And so last but not least, you recommend starting a side hustle or what you might call a bride hustle. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, so obviously if you're trying to save up money for your wedding beyond what you are just cutting back to to put a little extra into your savings, why not find a way to earn extra money to put towards your wedding? Whether it's starting like walking dogs or babysitting on the weekends or doing Instacart or, driving for Lyft or Uber, you know, there's so many different jobs that you can kind of pick up and do on your own free time, you know, with all the free time you have while planning your wedding and working a full-time job and living a life. But, you know, if it's important to you, like finding ways to bring in extra money to put towards the wedding is like really motivating, I think, and a great way to put more money in your wedding fund.
0: Yeah. I also think don't discount What you will learn planning your wedding and what skills you'll then have that you maybe could make a hustle out of after. There are so many brides that get a Cricut machine for their wedding and then they end up opening an Etsy shop after because they fall in love with making all of these products and getting to be creative with it and they find that they're good at it and they got so much practice For their wedding and then other people want to buy those same things for their wedding so it's cool to be able to look at your wedding planning journey as like also a skill building process
1: oh a thousand percent i think every every person who goes through wedding planning is really in the trenches with it like comes out with new skills absolutely a hundred percent that is so cool
0: That sound means it's time for Wedding Watch, the segment of the Bouquet Toss where we discuss iconic wedding moments from our favorite TV shows and movies. If you wanna hit pause and watch the clip we're talking about today, head to our Wedding Watch playlist on YouTube. The link is in the show notes. Today's Wedding Watch is Sex in the City, which happens in the movie, not the series, but, We were owed this moment.
1: Basically, like, they finally get engaged. They finally decide they're getting married. And, like, you know, she's, like, in her 40s, but it's her first wedding. And they talked about just doing it, just the two of them. But then being the fashionista that she is, she ends up falling in love with this, like, incredible dress. I think that was gifted to her from a designer. And they're like, we're going to put you on the cover of magazine and, like, whatever. And so then she gets swept up in all the wedding hoopla and they end up planning this, like, big fancy wedding at the New York Public Library. And then he gets cold feet. Not really cold feet, but he's just like, this is not what I want. And then at the end, they end up just going to the courthouse. It's, like, very sweet.
0: So the big New York Public Library wedding just, like, doesn't happen? Like, it's, it's been paid happen. for?
1: Oh, they're, then- like, they're, she's, like, in the dress. They're, she's waiting for him. And he, like, is trying to call her... And Charlotte's daughter, Lily, puts Carrie's cell phone in her, like, purse. And uh, so Carrie doesn't get the calls from Big. And she thinks he's, like, standing her up at the altar. And so she, like, goes to leave. And then he pulls up in his car. And they have this big altercation in the middle of the street. And she's, like, in her gown. She's like, I knew you would do this. I knew. Whatever. Whatever. They go their separate ways, and then they end up reconciling and coming back at the end.
0: The writers were smart to do it this way. Mm -hmm. Keeping the audiences in suspense up until that last second when, like, their relationship throughout the series has been, like, the most tumultuous thing, and it's on and off and whatever.
1: But It was gut-wrenching to watch, like, her realization and just, like, heartbreak over thinking that he was standing her up. Uh Uh-huh. I felt that, like, viscerally, like, in my chest when I watched that scene. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, like, I think every woman's, like, worst nightmare. (laughs) Seriously. 100%. And
0: then I do think that they end up leaning towards this idea that a big, huge wedding is not for everyone. And, like, the negotiation with your partner, like, figuring that out is really the most important thing Mm -hmm. You know, even if you are gifted an amazing designer gown, which I mean, I agree, like if I wanted a courthouse wedding, but then I was gifted a gown like that, I couldn't wear anywhere else. but My
1: wedding, I would want a big wedding too. So yeah, it was a gown that was worthy of like an epic Mm -hmm. venue, you know, I mean, of course you could do it any way you wanted to you. She could have worn that to the courthouse if she really wanted to. But I think it's just like the grandeur of that dress felt like it required a venue that was fitting. I feel like that is a thing. I always think about that whenever
0: we're posting photos of like real brides and stuff. Like sometimes you see the bride and like maybe it's her and her bridesmaids or the bride and the groom, but you don't see the venue. Like it's, you know, it's uh, pictures of them. Portraits. Yes, exactly. And I always think like, that's something I always think about trying to match the dress to what I imagine The venue is because if you're gonna be in like a huge ball gown you probably aren't gonna be in your backyard right which it's not to say that your backyard is not a great place to get married but the attire kind of like matches or at least Mm -hmm. it should i think it should Mm -hmm. the, the feel should all be there and that's another thing that you can think about like when you're creating your wedding vision you know what, this is, Sex and the City is teaching us so much about, <laughs> s- about creating your wedding vision. Because if you really want that, you want this huge, gorgeous dress that's like designer and whatever, that's going to dictate the rest of your wedding vision. But if your partner wants a courthouse simple thing, you have to do that negotiation to figure out, okay, together, what do we think is the compromise? What do we think is the right thing to do? Mm-hmm. So sneakily, Sex and the City was teaching us that you need to work with your partner
1: to set your wedding vision. Yeah, before you do getting, anything, getting really clear on it together, and not letting someone get swept up in in things and make decisions that you know ultimately affect both of you. Especially if it's yeah. something that makes one of you feel uncomfortable. You know, I mean, to be honest, the way it all went down wasn't the greatest. Let's be honest, but Big has a point. He had a point. Like he, this was his third marriage. And he'd done, like, the big crazy wedding. And, like, if that was what Carrie truly, truly wanted, it would have been a different story. But I don't think ultimately it actually mattered that much to her either. Yeah. And so at the end of the movie, when they do ultimately come back together and reconcile, and they go and do it at City Hall, just the two of them. I love that ending scene of the movie. She's like, Carrie Bradshaw in a non-designer label dress like married John James Preston at City Hall. York City and she's wearing her like iconic Badgley Mishka blue wedding shoes which have become just it's like a true iconic wedding shoe I feel like so many brides are like after that style or like even trying to find them you know the savvy way on like Poshmark or eBay used Mm -hmm. (laughs) no shame in that savvy game (laughs) um you know she invested in the designer shoes which she could actually wear again have you watched the uh the reboot this I haven't yet it's it's so different in a lot of ways but I'm really enjoying it and maybe it's just because I'm getting older <laughs> do the shoes make an appearance they do and it's like a tragic... it's I don't want to spoil anything oh but goodness. it's okay. it's like uh yeah the shoes are still around 15 years later and they're still part of her life mm-hmm. so Very you know, sad. She, yeah she made an investment in those shoes and she kept them for a really long time so they're like kind of like a symbol of their that commitment they made to each other, I think, in mm-hmm. a way. Yeah.
0: I think, otherwise, on the savvy scale, it's very hard to judge. I mean, okay, like, obviously, a huge New York public library wedding is going to be much more expensive
1: than a courthouse. I can't, I can't even imagine, like, what that would cost, truly. Right. I have no, no idea.
0: And it's just very fitting with the series as a whole, because none of what happens (laughs) feels like it actually could have been afforded. Like all of her outfits on her salary, her apartment, all of this stuff is just like, I don't think we're properly, um, representing.
1: Right. I mean, the woman stored designer shoes in her oven because she never cooked at home. So, and she ran out (laughs) of closet space (laughs) because New York, because New York, (laughs) But one thing, obviously, the New York Public Library wedding is, like, a totally different thing. Not savvy in the slightest, but the courthouse wedding, obviously very savvy. And then he surprised her with her friends being there outside the doors of the courthouse when they came out. And then they all went to a New York City diner for brunch, which is, like, the best. Savvy! That's so cute. It's the best. And, like, it really made me want some, like really crispy bacon and hash browns when I watched it. I I love a New York City diner. It's the best. Yes. So it's interesting because I feel like
0: they were playing into both, like, of the media narratives. They're playing Mm. both into this, like, desire and need for, like, a huge, lavish, expensive wedding. But also, on the other hand, the amazingly sweet, you know, meaningful thing that you can do if it's just the two of you, your closest friends, and a diner. And so it's funny, like, I, I sometimes wonder, like, is that, is it something that producers and like, you know, creators realize that a lot of the stuff they're putting out into the world is affecting the expectations of brides and, and grooms and people getting married and what they should want and desire. And so it's almost like they were stepping up to the responsibility of being like, there's actually a savvy way to do it, but not like totally committing, Yeah. (laughs) And I feel like that's what every person planning their wedding goes through. That like give and take of like, I know what my wallet thinks is right for me. But there's this whole narrative that the whole world has jumped onto of like weddings being these lavish events. That's hard to like get rid of.
1: Right. And what's Even more interesting, I think, is that like Big is portrayed to be this very powerful, successful, wealthy man. And they had all the means in the world to plan that big, fancy wedding. But ultimately, in the end, what actually felt best and most authentic to them and to their relationship was to do the intimate courthouse thing. So getting clear on those values. It's so important. Important. It could have saved them so much drama. That whole movie could have been avoided. (laughs) Oh, we wouldn't have (laughs) happened. That horrific, dramatic, like soul crushing scene didn't have to happen. (laughs) So that's the word to the
0: wise. In your own life, whatever proverbial dramatic scene
1: that could occur (laughs) planning a wedding like that doesn't have to happen. And that concludes our weekly wedding watch. Want to hear us chat about one of your favorite scenes? DM us on Instagram and let us know what we need to watch and chat about on future episodes. Yeah, so I think to wrap all this up, the important thing is for you guys to sit down and figure out what that number is going to be for you, what you're willing to spend, what you're able to spend with the help from any outside parties, and... If you need more inspiration or more ideas or even reassurance of how far your money can go, especially if you are working with a more limited budget, I really recommend checking out our real wedding section on the thebudgetsavvybride.com. You can browse by state, budget, color, and season. So you can actually go to thebudgetsavvybride.com slash weddings and view all the weddings that have been done on a budget of 10K or 15K or 5K or whatever number between. And you can see how they broke down their budget. And I think that's really helpful just to see how far your money can go, see creative ways to cut costs. I think it's an amazing resource. And you know, we've covered all that's involved in coming up with that number that you are going to spend at this point. But allocating that budget across all the different areas of your wedding is a whole other conversation, which means this episode is going to be a two-parter. We're going to be back with more information about how to allocate that budget that you've set and use your priorities to guide you in putting the funds towards the things that matter most to you. You've been listening to The Bouquet Toss, a podcast brought to you
0: by The Budget Savvy Bride. We would love for you to join us in our free private community to get support and inspiration from other couples currently planning their weddings too. Consider the bouquet tossed in your direction so you can rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app. As always, stay savvy and stay tuned for our next episode.
1: That's what ransomware is all about. It's psychological pressure. Ransomware. When your computer's hacked into and your data held ransom. Attacks are on the rise and Russian gangs are making billions of dollars. The moment I got that message, I knew our greatest fears that we ever have are starting to come through. The post-Cold
0: War era is over.
1: Dotcom The Hacking. A new season from Crowd Network with me, Katie Puckrick. Just search for dotcom, that's D-O-T-C-O-M, and subscribe.